let's hear the whole story. Same LSD story every time, and we've all heard it. Young man on acid, thought he could fly, jumped out of a building. What a tragedy. What a dick. <laughs> he thought he could fly. Why didn't he take off the ground and check it out first? You don't see ducks lined up to catch elevators to fly south. He's an idiot. He's dead. Good. I mean, there's one less moron in the world? Wow, what a fucking tragedy, huh? I guess I'm one car linked up in traffic tomorrow. <clears throat> How about a positive LSD story? That would be newsworthy, don't you think? Anybody think that just once to hear a positive LSD story? Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration, that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There is no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we are the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. <laughs> Here's Tom with the weather. Ah, this is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, and I promise you a mind-blowing show. That, of course, was the late Bill Hicks. And I'm playing that because Bill, those of us who weren't really aware of Bill until he appeared on Tools Anima, or was it? Well, let's get it right, people. Let's get it right. There's a point to this, as Bill Hicks would so famously say. And in 1996... Anima. Anima. He appeared on the album Anima by Tool. And he appeared on their last song of the album, probably the beautiful... Uh, it's oh jeez. <laughs> yep. Third eye at thirteen minutes and forty seven seconds. The lucky thirteen. And they used the Bill Hicks sampling and because they were friends with Bill Hicks and um, I'm mentioning this because today would have been my late friend Amanda Lukasiewicz's 45th or 44th birthday. And yeah, she was a big Tool fan. She was a big Tool aficionado. It was crazy. We would sometimes just chill out and try to dissect and analyze Tool's music. This is Maynard James Keenan announcing his death. Thank you. 
There's this thing going on. It's kind of a war. A war on uh, personal freedom, self-expression. And uh, recently, one of our generals died. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but Bill Hicks, he's a comedian, very good friend of ours, died of uh, cancer of the pancreas last Saturday. And uh, if nothing else, he lived a very full life and got a lot accomplished. Unfortunately, not a lot of people do that, they're scared, afraid to take risks willing to do compromising, and uh, our attitude is no compromising. That's Maynard James Keenan paying tribute to Bill Hicks, and my friend Amanda was a big Tool fan, and we would listen to that song, we would listen to Third Eye, and it starts off with Bill Hicks, and so that's how I wanted to start off the show tonight. To dedicate about you with these. <laughs> to dedicate um the show tonight to my friend Amanda and her love of Tool. I've talked about Tool on many many occasions. The the music is cinematic. It really is a package. That's all I can say. It's a package. Yes, everyone has talked about the Fibiacci sequence at nauseum. Um, because they want to sound smart and they want to sound cool. And I've always said that the four bandmates are four virtuosos. They really are. They play their instruments very well. And it's a soundscape. It's, I mean, I've read that Justin Chancellor has synesthesia, which you can see music notes, you can see colors as you play music. And I, I, want, a, I want a piece of that. I think, I think everyone does. Huh, but this is not really going to be a tool tool podcast. My friend was hilarious. Uh, we would talk about movies, we would talk about music. Uh, she loved horror films, <laughs> um, she loved The Exorcist, <laughs> but she particularly liked The Shining, and she loved. Well, room 237. So I've always said that. I hope she found room 237. Yeah. There's actually a documentary on it. Originally, it was room 217 in the novel and then room 237. It's been synonymous. And, um... Yeah. If we can dive into it, we can go from there. So here's a documentary. Um, okay. Oh, I just love these commercials. They're just so enlightening. Okay.
I think that that's that's something that that Kubrick plays on. Like he plays on uh, your acceptance of of visual information and also your ignorance of visual information. Like he'll he'll often like put little special clues that you see like in the corner. Every scene there's there's an impossibility. That like the TV doesn't have a core. Even something simple as like them, they like they bring too much luggage up. He like Jack meant you know, glances over at a pile of their their luggage that they brought, and it's about the size of the car. I mean, a lot of it is jokes. Like they're they're taking the tour. They're they're, they're crossing the street from the maze to go check out the garage. Like a car is just about to pick. <laughs> and then it cuts right before. <laughs> Jack is sitting typing at his typewriter and Wendy comes in and interrupts him while he's working and in one shot of Jack a lot written today? sitting at the typewriter or one shot you look back behind him and of course you can see very clearly because Kubrick was the master of depth of field he kept everything in focus so he, he would have lots of space in which to put things that he wanted you to notice and in the first shot behind jack sitting at his typewriter back against a wall behind him probably 10 or 12 or 15 feet is a chair and then there's a switch to a one shot of wendy saying something hey weather forecast said it's gonna snow tonight and then the camera switches back to jack and the chair is gone. What do you want me to do about it? And my students and I always have fun with that, saying, well, continuity error could be, or it's not. And the answer, if it's not, or if it was originally, and then Kubrick saw it and decided to keep it, is that he's parodying horror films in order to remind you that this isn't just a horror film. And there's another one in The Shining that's, I think, less well-noticed. And I think it's even more clearly substantive. When Danny has his first vision of the elevator gushing blood and the camera is tracking toward him past the open door of his bedroom and toward the hall and the bathroom, the open bathroom door across the hall, and his bedroom door, as you would expect, a kid's door, has lots of cartoon characters on it. And the one who is most apparent, because it's right at the edge of the door, and it's the largest one that you can see, and it's the last one you can see as the camera moves past it, is one of the seven dwarves. And it happens to be Dopey. Okay? Subsequently, after Danny has passed out, uh, Wendy and the pediatrician leave Danny's room. And as they do, they of course go out his door, and you again see the door, the open door, with all the cartoon characters on it. 
and Dopey isn't there. Now, again, continuity error? I don't think so. I think what Kubrick is saying is that before, Danny had no idea about the world. And now, he knows. He's no longer a dope about things. He has been enlightened. Another thing which uh, my film, Kubrick's Odyssey, really reveals um, is the carpeting on the floor during the famous Danny scene where he stands up with his Apollo 11 shirt. Uh, the patterns in the carpeting uh, exactly match launch pad 39A, um, you know, even the driveway and everything. And if you notice in that shot, the pattern on the rug changes when Danny stands up. Carpet, the carpet is reversed and there's no pathway there anymore. The, the pathway that the ball took rolling down towards Danny is gone now. It's no longer there because it's, it's reversed and you get a sense of the, uh, a closure. Now the hexagon is closed. It's almost like it, he's been closed in. Whoa. And the reason why I talked about this was we would talk about The Shining. And Room 237, that documentary, is, uh, it's crazy. It's cra it's magical. It's crazy magical. She would have loved it. She didn't live to see it. She died in 2008. Um, Room 237 came out in January of 2012, uh, directed by Rodney Asher. You can uh, watch it. I mean, it's uh, there's so many amazing things within it. In October 2014, with Rolling Stone, Stephen King, who has been a vocal in his, vocal in his dislike for Kubrick's adaption of the, his novel, said that he had seen the film and that he watched about half of it and got impatient with it and turned it off. According to King, he never had much patience for academic bullshit. Several of the interpretations of The Shining come from academics and professors. King felt the filmmakers and theorists were reaching for things that weren't there. <laughs> okay. And and I, re I respect him for that. So. Oh, my goodness. What, what a crazy time. And my friend Amanda, she just loved all of that. She loved all of that. We would dissect things, not people, but like just songs and ideas and um, magic and energy. So, I mean, there are some stories that I could tell, but I it's better that it stays between she and I because we were there. Um, like we were driving a friend home one night and I was there and... Uh, that's all I will say. That's all I will say. It was it was hilarious. It was hilarious. And um, she was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is going on. That's all I will say. I will not spill the beans. It was hilarious, though. It was hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember when I, I, in the days of MySpace, remember MySpace, and I helped her set up her page, and she and she's getting these pictures of uh, of uh, tarantulas, and she's like, "Oh my god, they're so pretty." And um, then she got a picture of 
of the guy from, um, what is it, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And she's like, oh, so pretty. She was commenting on these things. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and she was like, I wish she would take that chainsaw and do something with it. <laughs> I mean, I would go on on her MySpace just to laugh because her ideas were just... I remember one time... Um, what is it? Uh, she wrote this paper. I don't remember reading it, but and and it was about midgets, and monkey sex, I think. And she submitted it to our professor just for fun. And I remember he gave it back to her. <laughs> and he's like, "Interesting read. I wouldn't agree with everything in it, but fascinating." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my god, you blew his mind." <laughs> And then another thing was, we're outside one time, and um, uh, the founder of the college was walking. We didn't see him, and we were talking about Tool, and she's like, oh, I love that song, Prison Sex. But she said, I love Prison Sex, and he heard that, and <laughs> the, the look that he gave, I mean, it was just, it was hilarious. It was hilarious, and... Um, that's how I try to remember her in in better times is those moments. I mean, we would dissect things, you know, we would talk about, I remember Tool had a song called Eulogy. And we we're like, okay, is he talking about L. Ron Hubbard? Is he talking about, what is he talking about? Because he's saying at one point in the song, he says, um, <sighs> he says, come down, get off your fucking cross. We need the fucking space to nail the next full martyr. And, um, oh God, that's such an intense. Yeah. Such an intense song. Such a good song. And, um, but yeah, room 237. <laughs> There's so many films that we would talk about. And there's, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Here's how we will end tonight's show. As I say to you, unpleasant dreams. And in the memory of my friend Amanda, whom she is in the ether, I will tell you that. There have been many times where... I went to see Tool. Like the first time I saw them was in 2006, and they didn't. She'd seen them before, and they didn't play this one song that she particularly loved. And then in 2017, I went to see them again for the second time, ten years after seeing them, eleven actually. And um, they played the song she loved, and I immediately felt her presence. And so here we are tonight. It's always good to play. Life is about play.